This is the time of the deep dives. This is the Rich Eisen Show. Live from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. This office that Russell Wilson was allowed to have in Denver. They put the office on the second floor where all the executives were. Let's run. Earlier on the show, ESPN NFL draft analyst Todd McShay. Still to come. ESPN MLB insider Jeff Passan. PBA Hall of Famer Pete Weber. Senior writer for the MMQB, Albert Breer. And now, it's Rich Eisen. Yes, that's right. Pete Weber is going to join us in about 20 minutes' time because yesterday was the 11th anniversary of Who Do You Think You Are? I Am, one of the most <laughs> bizarre clapbacks in celebration I've ever heard of. And um, and so I'm like, you know, it's, it's that time of year, late February, combine week's kicking off, Major League Baseball spring training, NBA Final throws before the eighth and final playoff spots are hammered out and things of that nature. Let's get him on the horn. Albert Breer is going to be calling in from the combine in hour number three. We just chatted with Todd McShay of the worldwide leader in sports. So let's go back to that uh, ESPN bucket, if you will. One of our favorites, one of my favorites. Love talking to him uh, about baseball because he's one of the best. He knows everything about Major League Baseball. And joining us here on the Rich Eisen Show with spring training in full bloom and pitch clocks and shift rule changes in effect our friend jeff passan kicking off our number two here on the rich eisen show how you doing jeff i live in the dream rich how are you i am doing fine uh just the ground rules for this conversation uh if you are not ready to answer my questions at the eight second mark we're gonna have a problem okay this is gonna be an issue in this conversation there's a question clock or an answer clock uh in this conversation just to keep the pace of the interview going that makes any sense. Here's the thing. I was I was going to actually have an eight-second pause on air there, but mm. thankfully you filibustered long enough for mm. me to get ready to answer everything uh, and anything you've got. So fire away, Capitan. Okay, brother. Um, I'm, I'm a pace-of-play guy. I understand. I'm also a guy that loves baseball games to take as long as they take. I know I'm a 53-year-old guy, so I'm out of the demo. But uh, I don't think there's a soul on the planet. I tweeted this out over the week. I don't think there's a soul on the planet who wants to see a baseball game end with a walk-off pitch clock violation. Not a soul. And we saw it in college, and we saw it in the first few days of spring training. Um, I give you the floor on on baseball's thought process and how you see this playing out for the first uh, couple weeks, months of the season coming up. There are going to be 2,430 games played in Major League Baseball this season, Rich. Okay. And if one of them happens to end on a pitch clock violation, which I honestly I don't think that's going to be the case, but if one of them happens to end on that, and that is what needs to happen in service of everyone following the rules and uh, really buying into this idea that the pitch clock is good for baseball, I'm willing to make that sacrifice for one game to end like that, or two, or three, or whatever it is. I, I think the net positive that is going to come from the pitch clock, uh, long-term especially, in a sport that has been, if, if we're being honest about where baseball is in the landscape right now, uh, it is not the NFL, it is not the NBA, and there's a good argument to, it's not college football, certainly, and there's an argument to be made that college basketball is, if not on the plane uh, with it, then right there alongside it. Um, and it, baseball needed, needed to do something to address the fact that 
the reputation that the game has earned, not been given, but earned over the last 25 years is that it's just too damn slow. And I don't know that that manifests itself necessarily, Rich, in time of game. I think time of game is sort of illustrative of that. But to me, it's as much the pace as it is the time itself. And baseball had turned into a really plodding game without a ton of action in it. And I think this, uh, the pitch clock in particular, but also the other rules that have been put in place alongside it, are going to go a long way to solving the problem both of time of game as well as the pace. Now, and, and 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 I was talking earlier on my program, Jeff, that uh, you know in the NFL there's always uh, a hue and cry during the preseason where uh, rules are enforced uh, strictly to try and set a standard and players adjust. I, I, I totally get it, but just give me one game. Yeah. Heaven forbid that one game Sunday night, your network. Yankees Red Sox game over I mean seriously and then and then that one game matters as to who wins wins the division or not all it does take is one game for this thing to be so so I you know I I don't know man it just seems ridiculous listen listen I I I get your perspective but I also think that there's a a short-sightedness to it because I, I baseball had to do something and Look, they've tried in the past. Remember when they were try when umpires were told keep batters in the batter's box and let's quicken the game up that way. Remember how long that lasted? Yeah, you don't remember because it didn't <laughs> last long at all. Like the guys just straight up ignored it and uh, stopped caring about it. Major League Baseball kind of just shrugged its shoulders and was like, "Well." Guess there's nothing we can do about it now because players aren't on board. You need buy-in from everyone. And I think when it comes to the pitch clock, there is going to be enough buy-in where hopefully it is front of mind for the players in those key seminal high-leverage moments so that they don't make the mistake because everybody knows the rules. The players particularly know the rules and will have spent time in both spring training and early in the regular season adjusting themselves and contorting themselves to follow them. And eventually it's just going to be muscle memory. You know, you're, you're going to have that internal clock in your head that tells you if you're a batter, it's time for me to get in the box and look up. You're going to have that internal clock if you're a catcher, knowing you have to be there when the clock hits nine inside of the, the painted lines. And if you're a pitcher, you're going to have that internal clock through uh, hundreds and hundreds of reps, thousands once the season gets going, of, okay, this is how I need to go out and execute my pitches. And so um, just uh, so we can educate everybody, including myself, uh, it, it is what the rule is player must be in the batter's box ready for the pitch by the eight-second mark of a clock that's 15 seconds long. Is that how, is that how this works here, Jeff? That's correct. And, and ready <clears throat> is essentially – in your stance and head up facing the pitcher. So, you know, Max Scherzer uh, talked about it yesterday after his start. Like, he was ready before the hitter sometimes, and when the hitter would look up, he would go into his delivery. And he sees the pitch clock, uh, which, by the way, Max Scherzer was not a fan of at first, but he sees it as something that he can use to his advantage, and, and he can mess with hitter's timing that way. And you know what? That's great. Like, the, the fact that there is a potential strategic element to this, I think, really aligns with 
with, with what baseball is about. Baseball is that mental game. Baseball is that game where strategy comes into into play so often. And the fact that players are already trying to leverage that, I think is fantastic because it, it lends some gravitas to the rules, right? Sometimes these rules get implemented and it just looks like the Wizard of Oz uh, speaking from behind the curtain and saying, you will follow the pitch clock. No, it's you will follow the pitch clock, but hey, use it to your advantage too because it's something that can be advantaged. Well, then what about runners on? Can't runners use this to adva- their advantage, knowing how many times a pitcher oh. can throw over or anything like that? I mean, what, what about uh, runners A hundred percent. I mean, pitcher, so uh, another new rule is there are only two disengagements from the rubber, and the disengagement is either a pickoff attempt or a step-off. Uh, if, if a pitcher has used his two disengagements and he's the sort of guy who tends to hold on to the ball toward the end of the clock, you know that runners are going to be timing it and that they're going to feel like even if they don't want to take an enormous lead, they may take an extra step and they may get an early jump on it. And uh, then the pitcher has a decision because if he throws over to first base a third time to try and pick a guy off and doesn't do it, that's a balk. So the runner or uh, if there's a runner on third base, you know, the, the runners get to advance the base automatically. And that that's just part of the part of how things are going now. You know, the Major League Baseball, when it was implementing these rules, was really trying to get back to what baseball looked like in terms of pace in the 70s and 80s. And the 70s and 80s, remember, were the time when Ricky Henderson was stealing more than a thousand bases and Vince Coleman was putting up a hundred plus stolen bases a year. There was, there was a a level of athleticism in the game uh, that exists in the athletes themselves, but is frowned upon by teams with the stolen base because you have to be successful 75 or more percent of the time to even make stealing bases worth it. Um, I think that calculus is definitely going to change uh, between the lack of disengagement uh, as well as the smaller distance between the bases, four and a half inches shorter, which it doesn't seem like a lot. It's not a lot, but, man, when it's a bang-bang play, it could feel like a mile. Well, look, and again, I- I'm not against the idea here, Jeff, because, you know, sure. uh, it-, it will get exciting for fans in the stands when they see a clock winding down or they think that, that the clock yep. ran out, you know, and, and the pitch should have should have – been delivered or the clock is running out and the guy didn't have his head up and there'll be lots of action in yeah. the stands looking at a clock i i understand that and i and i understand you know wanting to speed things up but i will hate it if a game ends on a walk-off pitch count violation or a guy is out you know with uh nobody on i mean nobody out two on and then somebody's out so uh, in the ninth uh, and again i know the games doesn't matter first ninth inning what about turning the clock off in the ninth inning what about that idea what about doing that uh i asked about that yesterday and and was told uh by someone at major league baseball that it was a complete non-starter and they're not even considering the possibility wait and just wait just wait uh, just wait it's gonna happen you know rich it's one of those it's one of those things where we'll see right like if there are enough violations 
and people are up in arms and players start complaining about it and say, hey, we need it off in the ninth inning. Major League Baseball needs to at least be open-minded about this because considering the level of change that they have in place, what's the likelihood that they get everything right the first time around? It's not great. And, and that's not to suggest that Major League Baseball is consistently fumbling things. It's just a, like the reality no. of the world. When you make a bunch of changes in your life, how often do all of them turn out the way that you were anticipating? The answer is they don't. That's just not the way things work. So uh, I, I think as long as Major League Baseball is open-minded about the possibility of adjusting things, then we're going to be okay. But if they're stubborn and are are not listening to, to widespread fan feedback, and I, I don't know that the, the fan feedback necessarily uh, aligns with you entirely, Rich. I think, uh, you know, as far as I can tell from social media, and everyone knows that, you know, social media is a perfect reflection of the world, <laughs> they're pretty split on this. Uh, the, the most, you know, what the most interesting part of it has been to me. What's that? The people who have been complaining about the pitch clock have not been the ones that I would have anticipated. I would have thought that the complaints would have come from uh, longtime fans who think that this is a bastardization of the game that they know. Um, who who say baseball is the only game without a clock? It should stay that way. And there's some element of that. But more than that, mm-hmm. there's been this cognitive dissonance among like 15 to 25 year olds. And I was, you know, I was like, in my mind, they were going to be open minded because they're younger and because they're, they're more open to change. But it, it occurred to me when I saw this, oh, my God. They've never seen what a real baseball game looks like. <laughs> They've never seen baseball where guys aren't messing around on the mound or unvelcroing un- their batting gloves. They haven't seen that baseball from the 70s and 80s that's crisp, that's clean, that's quick, that's action-packed. And so this is a shock to the form for them. What? It's like, oh, my God, what happened to this sport that I fell in love with? What are they trying to do with it? And that's a, a fascinating part of this that I had not anticipated. Another fascinating part of it is how we're going to take the game in, because I saw your tweet as well that the pitch clock is not going to be visible right behind home plate like it is in some spring training game, uh, facilities. And, you know, there's going to yep. be, I guess, a box on the screen, another another uh, aspect of watching a game where it's a graphic of some we're going to see a clock, like a shot clock the yeah, entire game. I mean, I, yeah, for, I, I, mean, just, I just assumed that it was going to be on the score above, like the shot clock or like the, the play clock at football. Okay, pretty that, much. that to me seems to make the most sense. We Our, our first game of the year on ESPN, we're broadcasting today, okay. uh, 1 o'clock Eastern, Cardinals-Mets. Um, I'm I'm excited to see how we handle that. Okay. Um, and Jeff Passan here on the Rich Eisen Show. A couple more minutes left with the MLB Insider. Just real quick, some quick hitters. Uh, I saw some games this weekend, and I saw uh, a left-handed hitter uh, hit a liner into right field, and it hit the ground. And I'm like, shouldn't there what? be a th- shouldn't there be a third baseman standing there to just catch it on a, on, on a? It's, it's I mean, like, am, am I seeing the shift actually lead to hits? Did I see that over the weekend, Jeff? Did I see it? Uh you know, I, I I've never been a huge opponent of the shift. Mm-hmm. Like I've always thought that it was just going to bring singles back, and you know, people aren't coming to the ballpark for singles. 
Um, but at the same time, when a ball gets hit on the screws and because of defensive positioning, a guy just happens to be there. Um, uh, like I looked at that as much as, hey, uh, good for the defense. Good for the scouting. Hey. Good for the numbers. Yeah, but like come allowing on. you to put yourself, put your guys in positions where they can execute a play. But the, <sighs> the other side of the coin, I completely understand why a left-handed pull hitter singling to right field is music to many people's ears. But Jeff, let's let's put everything that we've just discussed together. Yes, you know, you're not coming for singles, but you're seeing a runner on and a pitch clock going down, and now that guy's going to be go. taking a lead, and now with the bases being larger, maybe that guy steals a yep. base, and then maybe somebody yep. actually hits one in the gap, and we see action, and it's not strikeout, walk, home run, you know, and, 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 and a game that moves along. Because the shift I, will open I, there, it all there, up. It, How about that? Right? There, yeah. There, there is no good counter to that, Rich. You're 100% right. Like, it, it aligns with everything that they're trying to do. I, you know, as somebody who has a deep appreciation for incredible defensive plays, maybe I'm just being a little sensitive to the, the defenders and their ability to uh, put outs up on the board. But, yeah, what what you say right there, listen, more guys on base is more action. More action is good for the game. So it, it's why when it comes to the shift, uh, I wasn't against banning it. I wasn't for banning it. But I, I can see the benefits certainly on both sides. Okay. And lastly, where did the uh, – Jeff Passan here on the Rich Eisen Show. Lastly for you, where did all the money from San Diego come from? Where What, what is happening with the Padres, who who now have extended Manny Machado, and every uh, uh, does everyone on? I know I'm asking multiple questions. Does everyone on San Diego have a ten plus year, three hundred plus million dollar contract? I mean, it's just what's happening. Yes, it's it's incredible how they were able to do that. Um, I I think what's happening is twofold here. Mm-hmm. Number one, um, it's really amazing, Rich, what happens when an owner prioritizes winning. Really incredible to see Peter Seidler coming out and saying, you know what, I'm in a small media market. My television revenue is, you know, a fraction of what the Dodgers 90 miles up the coast are. And I don't give a damn because I want to win the first World Series in franchise history. And I'm going to bring in and keep around the best players who give me the best chance of doing so. Such a novel concept, trying to win. And, and not trying to, to make a profit. Um, and the Padres certainly, on a year-over-year basis, are going to lose money. There's just not enough revenue coming in, even with the sellout, even with a, a season ticket list that had to be cut off uh, because there was too much demand, even with only one major professional uh, sport in the city. They're still going to lose money because the payroll is obscenely high. But What the Padres have done, Rich, is very simple. Uh, They've taken some of the equity from their growth uh, and from the growth of of professional sports teams across the landscape where you see, you know, a portion of the Milwaukee Bucks selling for $3.5 billion valuation today when less than a decade ago they were bought for $550 million. Well, that appreciation's happened with the Padres, too. Bought for $800 million in 2012 would easily sell for over $2 billion today. And the Padres said, you know what? 
we're going to take a chunk of that and we're going to bring in a strategic partner who's going to give us cash and we're going to reinvest that cash in the actual product, which is on-field players. And that reinvestment, we hope, is going to help build our brand, continue to build our awareness, and more than anything, uh, build a championship caliber ball club. And if we do happen to win the World Series, then the returns on that investment uh, are are going to be absolutely incredible long-term and short-term. And then, of course, Otani will top that list by a, a, a large margin. Uh, before I let you go, w- w- walk Padres me through. Padres are going to be in on him too, Rich. Oh, my gosh. And then Soto, <laughs> they're going to have to pay Soto too. So, so uh, yep. you know, walk me through the timeline in your mind. Is the trade deadline a trigger? Is opening day a trigger? What's the Otani uh, timeline for you for a new contract or trade? This year in 2023. Uh, well, my personal Otani timeline is that every day is a Shohei Otani day. But in terms of <laughs> extension, I don't see the Angels getting anything done. Uh, frankly, I think he's too close to free agency, and there's too much out there uh, in in order for him to stick around with the team that he doesn't know if it's going to be very good. And uh, here's the truth: if the Angels stink, or even if they're just sort of mid this year. Uh, I could see him moving at the trade deadline because oh, wow. if he's going to leave there, and I think you know the odds are probably more in favor of Shohei Otani ending up somewhere else next year than being back with the Los Angeles Angels, you better get as much for him as you possibly can because I'm sorry, but uh, one draft pick for, for Shohei, one compensatory draft pick for Shohei Otani leaving, that ain't a good deal. So do the Mets give up Axe Capital for him? Is that what it is? Is that what they have to do, <laughs> Jeff? Is, I mean, what a, what a bonanza that would be. I mean, the, if, 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 Rich, if Otani stays healthy and performs anywhere close to the, the way he's done over the last two years, yes. uh, the number's going to start, start at 500. I can't wait. Uh, Jeff Passan, have a uh, great rest of February because I'm calling you in March, which is just the other day. Um, so I look forward to that. Uh, look for more of my phone calls. Can't wait. Thanks for the time here, sir. Appreciate it. All right. Glad you got it in on the pitch clock, Rich. Uh, we did. We did. We got it in. It's safe. And uh, we can now uh, complete uh, the rest of the interview, which is uh, right now. Thanks for the call, Jeff. And he has just stepped out of the batter's box. <laughs> At Jeff Passan, follow him. Okay. The man... From whose brain, who do you think you are, I am? The 11-year anniversary of it was yesterday. Pete Weber, baby. He's coming up next right here on the Rich Eisen Show. (laughs) I've asked lots of questions for this man. (laughs) That's going to be great. Don't move. Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets at the Rich Eisen Show. And every single time I've been watching the basketball playoffs on TV, I've been wondering what it would be like to be at these games. And when you choose your tickets on game time, you can see the view from your seat where the court is, where you are in relation to it. And then the all-in prices, that's my favorite feature. The all-in prices makes sure that you see the lowest price guarantee and also know exactly how much everything costs all in before you purchase so all the guesswork is removed when you buy playoff tickets with game time 
Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use my code RICH for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Visit GameTime.co for restrictions. Again, create an account, redeem my code RICH for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Hey, folks, it's time for the NFL draft, which means for me, I need a good night's sleep because if I don't have one, just not myself. You know the deal. You know exactly how important it is to have quality sleep. It's a game changer for all of us. So sleep number helps me. My sleep number setting is 60. My wife's setting is 70. We both get a great night's sleep because we could adjust the firmness of our mattress on each side. Improve your quality sleep because Sleep Number learns how you sleep thanks to their smart beds and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, uh, it was 11 years ago this weekend. Uh, it was the 69th U.S. Open tournament um and uh, Pete Weber, one of the all-time great bowlers, needed a strike to win his fifth U.S. Open championship mm-hmm. and become past his father Dick Weber's record to become the only human being on the planet with five U.S. Open bowling championships. Yeah, man. <laughs> and uh, it was on ESPN. The great Gary Thorne with the call. This was 11 years ago Sunday. Strike to claim it. A strike to claim it. There it is. Number, number five. five. That's number five. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> so I guess the only way to introduce this man, this Hall of Famer, is wait a minute, I think I got this right. Who does he think he is? He does. <laughs> Pete Weber on the Rich Eisen show. What's up, Pete Weber? Not a whole lot, Rich. I've been listening. That was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed every minute of it. How about that? Did you hear Stefan Diggs in our Super Bowl show say that when he, he he called himself him virally, that he was really inspired by your statement and question and answer, Pete Weber? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I heard it. I, I was kind of confused, too. I was like, what, what was that? And then when he said the bowler, Pete Weber, I was like, oh, I know what he meant now. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's, it's kind of flattering. It's still going on 11 years later. I mean, so walk me through uh, what happened uh, 11 years ago Sunday, Pete. Walk me through that, please. Well, I was bowling Michael Fagan for the title. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of kids in the in the stands to my left that were Michael Fagan fans, mm-hmm. you know, and they kind of rooted a little too loud for me against me, mm-hmm. just loud enough for me to hear. Was it was it curse words? Were they cursing at you, Pete? Is that what it was? No, they weren't cursing at me. They were just rooting out loud against me. Okay. <laughs> so. uh you know, I said, 
said something then and uh <laughs> after I struck to win it was it was like um who do you think you are? This is what I meant to say. Who do you think you are <clears throat> in my house? This is my tournament. Yeah. And with my adrenaline going, <laughs> it just came out. Who do you think you are? I am. <laughs> and actually became a famous quote. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of cool. When did it dawn on you? You said that and then caused you to say, what the hell was I talking about, Pete? When did that happen for you? Uh, pretty much right after I said it, <laughs> I was standing there and was like, what was that? <laughs> but, you know, like I said, with adrenaline flow and it sure. just, uh, it just came out that way. And so, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Pete, uh, on that day, 11 years ago, by the way, uh, TJ Jefferson, one of my colleagues here on the show, diehard wrestling fan, TJ, did you know this man would play Triple H's theme song during his, I did not know. Is that, that correct, Pete? <laughs> Is that correct? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's time to During play the, the game. and introductions, Triple H's theme song was on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and if I'm not mistaken, you made some hand gestures uh, in that respect as well, Pete, correct? Well, I did the DX chop. <laughs> <laughs> Break it down. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, you know, it brought excitement to the game, and, you know, people enjoyed it. Some people did, some people didn't, but they watched anyway. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, they did. Did you ever hear from Triple H? You ever hear from him? No, I haven't. Well, we got to put this together, right? Pete. Don't you think? Don't we have to do this? I think so. Put it together? You oh, I'm a, I'm a diehard WWE fan. I, I faithfully watch Monday Night Raw and uh, Friday Night SmackDown. Every pay-per-view that's on, I, I get and watch. Whether it's at home or on the road, it doesn't matter. Bowling Hall of Famer Pete Weber here on the Rich Eisen Show a day after his 11-year anniversary of a phrase that, that rolls on. And even if I'm not mistaken, Patrick Mahomes, after making the Super Bowl this year, beating the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC Championship game, he tweeted out basically your video uh, as, as his statement to make the Super Bowl this year. Pete, did I see that? Yes, he did. In fact... Uh... Not to brag any, but Please. that was probably the first thing he did was put that on his Twitter. And to me, that's like, that's a big honor to, for like the younger generation of sports figures to actually know that saying and use it in their Twitter. Mm-hmm. That, that, what an honor that was. I mean, I responded to it and I tried to reach out to him. I haven't heard back from him, but, you know, I'm a diehard Kansas City fan, too. And so, you know, you, yeah, I was about to ask you, because you're from St. Louis, right, Pete? I mean, so yeah. um, does that make you now a Chiefs fan with the Rams having moved out of town, Pete? Uh, as soon as the Rams moved, I became a Chiefs fan mm. and haven't stopped being a Chiefs fan since. Uh, and so to see Mahomes do that, it, it's it's kind of amazing. I think it gets a new life every 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 passing day, Pete. It really does. You know, your phrase. Every once in a while, you know, it just pops up out of nowhere. Then you know, even at at WrestleMania last year <laughs> in 2022, it, the, the announcer said, "Who do you think you are? I am made the seven ten split." <laughs> You know, so that was kind of cool, too. <laughs> Did you, you know, ever... It just pops up. Doesn't it? Did you ever see the movie Kingpin, Pete? Did you ever see that movie? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. What'd you think of it? 
It's a comedy. It really doesn't do justice for bowling. No, I know that. It's a good comedy movie, yeah. Okay. But you never heard of anybody who lost their arm inside the uh, <laughs> the, the ball retriever, right, Pete? You never heard of that? Any, any Munson? No. No, lost her hand. No, I haven't heard of that. No. There's a big sign right there. Do not stick your hand in there. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time you bowled 300? When was the last time that happened? Oh, man. <laughs> well, it hasn't been this year yet. Okay. Uh, I'm going to have to say maybe last August, maybe. Okay. Wow. And when was the first yeah, time? it's been a while. Do you remember the first time you rolled 300, Pete? I was uh, 12 years old, bowling in my dad's bowling center. Mm-hmm. On a Sunday morning, adult junior league, I was born with my Saturday coach, and I shot 300, and he shot 279 the same game. So, I, yes, I do remember. <laughs> what, did you say something to him then, too, as a 12-year-old? Or when, <laughs> what, did, did you, was that the when it's similar phraseology was born? Did you... Did you to your well, coach? Yeah, I was like, oh, man, if he would have struck out shot 300, we could have shot 600. What what was going on? And <laughs> probably used a few different words, but, you know, it was like, oh, why didn't no. you strike out? You know, <laughs> but I let him know about it. Well, I mean, and obviously we're talking right now to, to Pete Weber, the 11-year anniversary of uh, the 2012 U.S. Open uh, victory. Who do you think you are? I am. What happened in 1991 where the trophy broke on you? Pete, what happened there? Well, anybody that knows bowling, they probably know Nelson Burton Jr. Mm-hmm. moved the trophy for the camera, and it was it was double stick tape, and he he didn't put it back on the double stick tape very well. Mm-hmm. So when Chief Wapinski handed me the trophy, I I actually asked him. I said, "Is this solid on there?" <laughs> He said, oh, yeah, it's screwed and bolted down. So I didn't think anything about holding it above my head. And then, as you know, as soon as I held it above my head, that went. So, you know, it was uh, (laughs) the eagle has landed. It's another famous Pete Weber moment. (laughs) Made every... Uh, every show's uh, Hall of Shame, <laughs> you know. So it hasn't been like I haven't done some good stuff. No, 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 no. I know that, Pete. <laughs> I know that. Uh, trust me. I mean, you're a Hall of Famer uh, for for a reason, and and part of the reason again, uh, you you did bring attention, and you brought uh, good attention, uh, and it was a lot of fun to to see that uh, video yesterday, and it went viral again. Um, and I just figured, you know what, let me get Pete on the show and actually find out the story behind it and uh, let you know about Stefan Diggs. I mean, honestly, the one of the most viral moments in the NFL this season is uh, an homage to that. So I just figured I'd get you, get you on the phone and uh, have a chit-chat. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, it was, I, I didn't even realize it was 11 years yesterday until somebody told me. Well, it went. Uh, it went. I, I was bowling the tournament, and somebody walked by. I said, "Happy 11th anniversary!" I went, 
for what? <laughs> and then said, who do you think you are? I am quote. It was like, oh, all right. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, thank you for calling in. Let's uh, let's do this every year. Happy to do it if you're yeah, up for it. Thank you very much. Right I back would at love you. to. I would love, it's a lot of fun. That's Pete Weber, Hall of Famer, not just as a bowler, but just a viral superstar Phenomenal. Right, right here on the Rich Eisen Show. Who do you think you are? I am. <laughs> Fantastic. And by the way, shout out to Gary Thorne. For laying out. For laying out. That's a television term, folks. Yep. The t- it's a TV term for shutting up. Yep. Because he could have been like, and that's the big moment he passes his dad. And then all what of a sudden, a shot, we don't hear him say that. He got it. Let the crowd go crazy. And also, shout out to those two kids who were chirping <laughs> at Pete Weber. What do you call them? Alley birds? Is that what you call them? Yeah. Just chirping at Pete Weber, and he screams at him. Well, I guess it's good that it came out that way because it seems like he wanted to curse at them. <laughs> right, absolutely. You're, you're sure. in my uh, blankety blank house. Mm. Great stuff. <laughs> All right. Uh, when we come back, the NFL Competition Committee is meeting in Indianapolis without me again. It's going to be the last time it happens. I'm telling you, they need, you, need, you need me in the room. And I'll explain why. You need me in that room. You, you, you want me in that room. We're going to have this conversation because they're talking about roughing the passer, what happened last year, what they're willing to do about it moving forward. That's coming up next. Albert Breer joins us from Indianapolis at the Combine. Overreaction Monday still to come. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Back here on the Rich Eisen Show Radio Network, joining us on the live Roku Channel stream, sitting at the Rich Eisen Show desk, furnished by Granger with supplies and solutions for every industry. Granger is the right product for you. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Dennis in Long Beach, California. Let's take your phone call here on the Rich Eisen Show. What's up, Dennis? Hey, Merry Monday, Rich. Same to you. Um, with Albert's conversation talk with uh, Chicago and what they should do, I'm not sure if you're aware there's a. Uh, economist at the University of Chicago, Richard Thaler, who's won the Nobel Prize. Okay. And he had a study that draft, uh, first-round draft picks are probably overvalued, especially the very top picks. And he has an economic theory that teams that can trade down for more picks would, are generally better off in the long run. Uh, and there's also this overconfidence or everybody overvalues when, like, the, steam, the, the ship starts rolling towards one player that everybody wants it, which makes that pick even more valuable. Yes. So you might want to get Thaler on and have him talk about this. He has a lot of theories about the draft. Um, the, the most 
the economic pick ever was Brady. By the way, I don't. I don't need a PhD in, in to, <laughs> to, you know. And and look, man, I I get it, but it's just, you know, uh, I I'm you know I've got a doctorate in Eberflus, and I uh, you know, and and I I think they, <laughs> the Bears should stick with Fields. Like you saw what he looks like, you you know what he looks like. He's also pretty damn sturdy. I mean, I proffer to say Bryce Young stands behind that line over the last two years. You'd be picking him up with a straw. You know what I mean? So and that's anybody. You know, so I, they, I they, they trade the first for the second. They trade the second to go further down. They trade the first. They can pick up six, seven picks with this and get offensive line. The problem, and, and they may want to restart the clock. You know, I mean, by by starting with him, and and the clock starts again. That you don't have to pay this guy generational wealth. You know, for another uh, three years. And Fields, if he has a great year here, he might get paid in the same way that we're seeing Daniel Jones get paid. You know, uh, and so thanks. would he be worth it if they get the line and he's as good as they say they are? Would he be worth it because now he's a proven commodity? Correct, exactly. And you can pick up other picks. Okay. Uh, what's the name of this uh, this uh, professor again? What's his name? His name is Richard Thaler. Okay. He's at the University of Chicago. Okay. Great. Thanks he for might the... be a Chicago Bears fan. Okay. Let's uh, write. Are you writing him down there, Brockman? Thank you for the guest idea. There you go. We'll take it under consideration. <laughs> Headline to start this opinion. I should be on the competition committee <laughs> in the National Football League. <laughs> Give me know. a chair. Give me a chair. I believe that you believe that. Problem is, I wouldn't be in this chair. I'd be in these be meetings gone. in I'd Indianapolis. Be the I'd be in Indianapolis. We'd have to do the show. So I don't know. Maybe, you know, I don't know. In retirement, I have no idea. But uh, I could Zoom. I'll Zoom. Who's Zooming? Me. I'm on the square. Because they need to hear from me. They need to hear. They need to hear. Why would you say that? Because they're meeting in Indianapolis and they're coming up with ideas that they'll then, you know, ruminate on and either agree to as a committee forward to the membership, which is what we call the owners in the NFL, for their meeting in March. And then they vote and then there's a rule change. Or not. Judy Batista, my colleague from the NFL Media Group, all over this on Twitter yesterday. She said that the competition committee wrapped up the first day of meetings at the Combine. One team has proposed making roughing the passer reviewable by replay. Committee will discuss tomorrow, that's today, early indication is little appetite in the room for making it reviewable. Now then, I totally understand why there's little appetite for making it reviewable. Because if you make it reviewable, meaning challenge flag comes out from coach, do you then allow the coach to challenge when one is not called? I thought that was helmet to helmet. I thought that was a rough. Here we go. Out comes the challenge flag. And now suddenly it's just like the pass interference review because now, because it's open to interpretation. Okay. Open to interpretation. So I've said, I don't want to make it reviewable by the coach. The sky judge, the replay assist, video assist, whatever you want to call it. You take a look at it when one is called. When a flag is thrown for roughing the passer, let's take a look at it. Let's take a look at it in between snaps. Let's go. Flag comes out. They all huddle up and have a discussion. The discussion is really, let's wait for replay assist to chime in. Was this really a rough 
come up with what a rough is. I think you can pretty much see it in the same way what a catch is, but you can codify it. You can codify it. And let's go. And pick the flag up. There is no penalty for roughing the passer. Play on. That's what I want. Because what we saw last year was off the charts in terms of being, what's the word for it? Really wrong. Now then, Judy Batista then tweets out exactly why I should be in the room. Committee looked at 80 plays of roughing the passer and found only three questionable. Three. Come on. Three. Now, here's why it can be codified. The big conversation is a sling versus a slam. A slam is problematic when the defender picks up the quarterback in the air and slams him on the ground. Slinging is more considered the natural progression. Like, say, the roughing the passer penalty in SoFi. Remember in SoFi? Who was it? Phillips of Miami who slung Justin Herbert down to the ground. Miami versus Los Angeles. Uh, Roughing penalty comes out. And the whole country's like... What the hell is that? You just threw him down. Now, is that one of the three? I don't know. I'd love to know what the three are. I was going to say, are we going to find that out? Well, one of them's got to be Chris Jones. (laughs) I mean, it better be. Pulling the ball out from Derek Carr with one of the most incredibly athletic plays. And thus, if his body weight came down on him, it's because one of his arms that would prevent him from having the body weight placed on him was... Had the football. Had the football. (laughs) And the other one actually was him putting his hand on the ground. And if you use replay assist to see it, you're picking a flag up. Right. Is that two? Is that two of the three? Really? They they look at 80 plays and said only last year, only three are questionable. Please put me in the room. Please. (laughs) I mean, but that's... That's, you know, brought to you by officiating's never been better. Like, of course, they're only going to say three out of 80. No, but this is in a room. This is where coaches get together and, you know, whoever's on the competition committee, I don't know because I don't look because it just pisses me off that I'm not in there. But these are all well-intentioned, die-hard, dyed-in-the-wool football individuals who have been around the sport forever, Okay. But they and they look at it and say only three last year. Do you want to know? I can tell you who's on. Sure, it. go ahead. Uh, Rich McKay is yes. the president. Yes, I know that. John Mara, uh, right? Katie Blackburn. Yep. John Mara, Chris Greer, Dolphins GM, yeah. Stephen Jones, Ozzy Newsom, Frank Reich, Ron Rivera, Mike Tomlin, Mike Vrabel, and Rich Eisen. <laughs> can you imagine me in that room? No. Hey, hey, everybody. Let me just say. Well, you trying to take over? How many? Room. How many? How many? <laughs> Like one angry man, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the jury room. Hey, but hold on a second. Like really, really, really. We're saying three out of 80. Do you want to hear what I hear from the fan base? Because I'm willing to give it to you. Because the fan base thinks we all in this room have no clue what's going on. So. Just because I'm, so, I'm not so hard-hearted. It's not all about dollars and cents, by the way. That's a, a Louis B. Waltz line from The Godfather. Just because I, I, it's not all negative. Judy tweeted this one out, that the quarterback push sneak at length, Troy Vincent said the committee discussed it. They'll review the topic next month at their meeting. Again, some argued it should be allowed and anticipate more offensive plays springing from it. I like it. Yeah, you can get a fumble ruski out of a set of I don't like know. Or, cool. or it's just like a fake, and then all of a sudden That's you can I mean. flip it. Yeah. Well, pitch backwards, guy leaks out, touchdown. 
because some teams can't do it. The Eagles, a lot of teams can't do the it. The Eagles can do it. Yeah, I mean, they're the best at it right now. I kind of like that. I don't mind the, 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 the rugby scrum push. I don't, I don't either. Mm-mm. Stop it. Right? Stop it. Don't you think? Let's go. And everybody puts everything in, and then all of a sudden you're running like somebody's pushing, then all of a sudden you hand it back like a, a statue of liberty, and then and like, out goes somebody out the gate. AJ Brown, see, see ya. Or or you go in there and then you 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 go back and you throw it in the air like a Tebow fake. Jump, I like jump it. Pass. I like it. So we're gonna bring rugby in the football now, though. Why not? We already have. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. Let's go. Let's go. I like it. See, I don't hate it. I I don't stop me just coming in the room, guys and ladies, and saying you don't know what you're talking about. I do. Who do you think you are? I am. <laughs> Somebody needs to go into the competition committee and pull a full Pete Weber without the Triple H, yeah, you know. in front of Mike business. Grable and Mike Tomlin, just like, hey. What if Tomlin's the one going and saying it, though? Yeah, sure. Why not? Thank you. <laughs> you need me in that room. You want me in that room. They don't know that. You need me in that room. They clearly don't. Are you willing to do it for free, though? That's the question. Of course. It's for the love of football, sir. <laughs> yeah, I mean, first-class accommodations. Well, that goes without saying. I mean, please. Can't everything be on the arm? So. Sky Judge, this thing, for roughing the passer. Three. Three of the 80. Come on. Yeah, right. (laughs) What are we doing? Come on. But, I mean, they're they're in this room and they're coming out. I don't know what they're going to do with the Sky Judge. Didn't see anything on that front. I like what the XFL has been doing with it. Which is which is and everything. Wendino is just like right there, like Minority Report, Tom Cruise, and as soon as something happens, boom, he's in the ear of the official. He's red balling it. I like it. XFL's got some good ideas. Yeah, is that right? But you just went higher register. <laughs> nah, I tried to tell him. He he was completely I anti. Was over the weekend. I was like, the bro, thing just they do give with it a extra shot. Extra points. Have you seen this? No. One point. From the one-yard line, two points from... Oh, sorry. One point from the two-yard line. You're talking about conversion? After yeah, score. after the touchdown. You can get a two-pointer from the five-yard line, but you can get three points if you convert from the 10. Didn't Larry David say this? Take the uprights down and do this? And then they yeah. also do the onside kick, a fourth and 15 from the second, 25. Which we had to, but didn't LD say this? Yeah. Take out the all uprights. Kicker, all kickers gone, which is... That's aggressive. But take down the uprights, and, and that's... Are it's they pulling... Great. Are they doing the first week? A team was down 15. They converted, got the two, reco- made the fourth of 15 play. It was great. By the way, you'll know that the XFL is listening to Larry David if they flag someone for a cut and chat. <laughs> cut and chat. <laughs> <laughs> a chat and cut. Albert Breer coming up.